Hello, friends. How are you? On my first episode, I talked about local and geopolitics as well as the neuropsychology of 9-11. I talked about how the subsequent events really imprinted something on all of us. What each of us did with that something is what I want to talk about in this conversation. And keep in mind, let's not forget the period of time we're in this conversation. The internet is booming. It's becoming a bigger and bigger part of every one of our lives. It's growing to the point where it's overtaking our day-to-day -day life, right? I've already shared with you about where my rush, where I search for answers, led me. Now let's begin our conversation by looking at why I rushed for answers. Why we all seem to look for a full picture to be painted when we only have a few paint strokes. Why is this? Why do we all do this? That's a good question. And I'm a good guy to talk about it. Because it's the brain. It's the brain. The human brain has evolved from our hunter-gatherer days to be masterfully suspicious. We are suspicious of everything, right? When we do not have the answers, we search for them. Our brains are hardwired to do this. Our brains are hardwired to connect the dots. So it's perfectly natural, it's actually biologically programmed to make sense of things that appear random. This is really explains a part of why we evolve so fast and so dynamically. So as we consume any day's news, we're constantly trying to make sense of it by thinking about how it fits into what we had just learned yesterday. This practice continues every day with every new thing we learn. This is how knowledge is built. So that's a good thing. Our brain, the way our problem-solving abilities are hardwired, the tribalism disposition has been with us since the very beginning, right? We think in groups. We automatically place ourselves in groups because this is how our brain has evolved. That's fine. That's all well and good. That's evolution, right? But what isn't natural? What wasn't a part of our lives then and evolved along with our brain? yet is a part of our life every single day, every single minute, every single hour since it was introduced. What isn't natural? The internet. The internet is what's not natural. The internet is interfering with our evolutionary processes. The internet is making our basic neurological processes that much harder because it presents us with so much more information. Before we get into the election of President Obama, I want to talk about the neuropsychology of conspiracies. Conspiracy theories are used by people who find events inexplicable or threatening. Right? This explains why a 13-year-old Chris gravitated to Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 9-11 because what Michael Moore was doing was giving us a lot of easy answers, explain the inexplicable, and to make us feel good 
about something that's threatening. That's the lure of a film like Fahrenheit 9-11 and all the subsequent films that would come out during the Obama years. We search for answers for things that are still ongoing. We search for answers to things that have already been answered. But that answer just doesn't satisfy our curiosity's itch. This primal urge to connect the dots now with the internet is really forcing us into a precarious position. Okay, I know that was a lot. But now that we're all together with understanding how our brains operate and understanding how the internet now incorporates into that pursuit, let's go in a time capsule and let's go back to right before the election in 2008. Our country made so many decisions and the events were fast moving, right? Information travels faster now than ever before. And that information can be manipulated and spun even faster. The wars in the Middle East are becoming more and more troublesome. More and more of the public do not approve it. And more and more news networks are starting to cover this fact. One in particular news network, though, they hold a steady pro-war, steady pro-Bush administration line. And their popularity shoots up to number one. In the 2008 election, Obama walloped John McCain in every statistic other than older whites and older Southerners. Obama won every single category of people. People of color, white women, young people, educated whites, and not by little. Obama not only won, but he ate into John McCain's leadership ability over the course of the campaign. By the time Election Day came, voters gave Barack Obama a higher ability to lead score than John McCain had. The results from Election Day in 2008 showed a stunning reversal from when McCain was favored by almost 20 points on the same question of leadership over the summer. 75% of voters gave Obama an A or B in his campaign. It was a stunning campaign, filled with positive messages and a candidate himself who embodied change. This was exactly what we needed as a people. The election was a tsunami, and the middle won handily. This was not an election of the base. He was the human to heal us. That's what's so profound about looking back on this period of time. Because I was 17, 18, and I was aware of the excitement and the hopefulness and just the general optimism that was, like, palpable right after his election. Republicans saw the same exact statistics that I'm saying now. And this made a group of Republicans hold a meeting just after the inauguration. They were aware of the changing demographics. And their style of politics was on the decline. Kevin McCarthy was there. They read the tea leaves. Republicans feared that they may never hold the presidency again. They needed to fight him over everything. If they could come up with another way to play politics. 
And so they did. Conspiracy theories were always a part of American political life. They were never the problem. It's just that in this meeting, Republicans made a strategic decision to allow conspiracies to become a part of mainstream political life in this country. That's the problem. But it didn't take that long. It honestly didn't take for him to get elected for conspiracies to start it to fly. Do you remember the birther conspiracy? 28% of Republicans believed that Barack Obama was not born in the United States. Another 30% were quote-unquote not sure. Lou Dobbs worked for CNN at the time. He promoted this birther conspiracy every single night, even after it was debunked. Remember, the president actually released his birth certificate. But that didn't do anything to the rumors because the rumors don't care about fact. Conspiracies don't care about fact. They care about fear. And I'm going to guess that those who watched Lou Dobbs every night, their perception was warped by this coverage. The people who watched Lou Dobbs' show did not have an accurate opinion of Barack Obama's birthplace. The interesting thing about 2008, which I think echoes my point about the internet, is the fact that Sarah Palin faced much of the same scrutiny that Obama did. Albeit far less, and it wasn't as sustained as the eight years of vitriol aimed at the president. But rumor and conspiracies were thrown around about Palin's birthplace, too. Her extreme policies and her outlandish theories. People want to understand what they don't understand. And for Barack and Sarah, these were examples of two people who shot up the chart in popularity without the public knowing much about them. So it's kind of natural, as I was saying about our brain, that with so little information, rumors start to be created. It's just that once the facts come out, we must be aware of them. And do you think that once he was sworn in as president, that the conspiracies stopped? Do you think that we stopped gravitating towards these sources of further confusion and more pain? Did we start to learn about the man who was going to lead us as a president? No. We just leaned into more conspiracies. And if you were like me, you're asking yourself at this point, what is up with us and conspiracies? Is it something to do with the American story 
that conspiracies are just present in. Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Conspiracies have been around in this country as long as we've been a country. I'll give you an example. Jeffersonians saw the rise of Hamilton and Madison as a threat. They saw this as an expansive federal power. And they saw this as a sign of changing times from Jefferson's more egalitarian government. So Jeffersonians felt threatened. And thus, what do they do? They published conspiracy theories in every newspaper in the country that pushed the idea that the American government was now becoming a monarchy. That's Thomas Jefferson and his allies. All because they're afraid of James Madison and Alexander Hamilton. I use this example because you can see why the Republican Party turned to conspiracy during the Obama presidency. He was the most popular elected president in my lifetime. And this helps to ease the subsequent seven years of hostility, I think, because it explains why we ran into conspiracy after conspiracy after conspiracy after conspiracy. And let's just bounce out the conversation real fast. Where did the modern distrust in government come from? We can trace it all the way back to JFK and Watergate and Vietnam War. Now you have a most popular president in JFK get murdered. He got killed. And the government's explanation for it, people just did not buy. And then you transition into Vietnam. Extremely unpopular war. With extreme forces on each side pulling at the other. And all kinds of conspiracy theories about Lyndon Johnson would pop up. And then right after that we had Watergate. So it's really self-explanatory why there is such a palpable distrust in government in this country. Not only was it with us at the very, very beginning, but in the same ways, it's still around today. Healthcare was the first thing he wanted to do after he saved the economy, right? And during the healthcare debate in 2009, Sarah Palin had just quit as governor of Alaska but she decided to take to Facebook to throw a conspiracy theory out there. Her post was, quote, Government health care will not reduce the cost. It will simply refuse to pay the cost. And who will suffer the most when they ration care? The sick, the elderly, and the disabled, of course. The America I know and love is not one which my parents or my baby with Down syndrome will stand in front of Obama's death panel so his bureaucrats can decide, based on a subjective judgment of their level of productivity in society, whether they are worthy of health care. 
Such a system is downright evil. End quote. This Facebook post was nightly news. This entirely out of context exaggeration was a part of our news cycle. And it didn't matter that the section of the law that Palin was referring to had to do with doctors who would be paid to advise patients on Medicare already on how to better prepare their finances and end-of-life care for when they would get older. That's what the section of the bill that she took entirely out of context was talking about. There's nothing to do with death panels. There's nothing to do with deciding whether you would get care or not. It was a specific section in the legislation that would help people like my grandmother make better decisions as they neared end of life. That's all it said. But by the end of that week, politicians, people on Fox News, the ethers of the internet, were using this term death panel. And it really had an effect on public opinion. But this is a moment to see how conspiracies are formed by the utility of fear or the unknown, right? They come in to make us feel better, even though we don't know anymore. Do you remember Benghazi? I mean, on September 11th, 2012, our diplomatic compound in Benghazi, Libya was attacked by a group associated with Al-Qaeda. Four Americans lost their life, as well as seven Libyans, and many others were killed. It was a tragedy. It was a horrific event, right? Do you remember what happened after this? The firestorm of controversy that erupted on Fox News after this? I mean, you heard calls for impeachment, and the word terrorist was associated with our president. It led to six, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six Republican investigations. They had Hillary testify for how many hours? Thirteen? What did they find? Absolutely nothing. But for that whole period of time, Obama was literally painted as a terrorist. Hillary Clinton was literally painted as someone who enabled a terrorist attack on our compound. This is what the internet is doing to us. Because those on the right and those who watch Fox News feared and didn't understand Obama so much 
that they would create and believe in such sinister ways really shows us where our rush for answers is really making us go very wrong. Not only did voters tune out, but he had a sustained and increasingly hostile opposition. What we lack today is someone like John McCain, who during this time would come out, actually speak on the Senate floor, and rightfully discredited all of these crazy outlandish theories. I'm going to end this episode with John McCain, so we'll come back to him in a few minutes. But I hope these few examples... Now remember, I could use... There were many, many conspiracy theories that popped up during the Obama years. And I mean, I kind of want to... I don't... I This podcast is very serious, but let's take a minute... Try to have a laugh, right? I'm going to read a list of the insane amount of conspiracy theories that popped up on the internet, on Facebook, on Fox News during President Obama's tenure. This shows you what happens when you're afraid. Obama is a secret Muslim. Obama is bringing 100 Muslims to America. Obama once aided in the Mujahideen. Obama is in the pocket of the Muslim Brotherhood. Obama redecorated the Oval Office in Middle Eastern style. Obama married a Pakistani guy. Obama was funded by a Saudi prince. Obama was born in Kenya. Obama lost his U.S. citizenship. Obama was a Black Panther. Obama is the son of Malcolm X. Obama is the son of Frank Marshall Davis. Obama's mom and dad were communists. Obama's ghostwriter was Bill Ayers. Obama trained to overthrow the government. Obama wouldn't say the Pledge of Allegiance. Obama removed the flag from Air Force One. Obama ordered soldiers to swear allegiance to him. Sound familiar? Obama secretly gave away American islands to Russia. Obama caused the recession in 1995. Obama's coming to take your guns. Obama's coming to take your gold. Obama is planning FEMA concentration camps. Obama wants to confiscate your IRA. Obama caused the BP oil spill. Obama was behind Aurora Massacre. Obama personally caused Hurricane Sandy. Obama spiked the jobs report. Obama faked Bin Laden's death. Obama's plan to fake an assassination attempt. Obama's going to run for a third term. Obama is a brainwashing hypnotist. 
Obama needs a teleprompter to say anything. Obama wrote anti-Semitic poetry. Obama really had an exiled lover. Obama is gay. Obama's campaign was funded by drug money. Obama is the Antichrist. Obama is a lizard overlord. Obama's adventures on Mars. What I just spent three minutes telling you is eight years of fear. Eight years of a lack of understanding about context, government, news, and understanding about who your president is. That's what those conspiracies say. And that's what we must control. Because so far, ever since we've been, ever since we've had internet, and I'm speaking for myself, ever since I could afford to purchase my own internet, I've had internet. I've found a way to maintain internet in my life, even though I grew up poor, right? I couldn't have it when everyone else had it, but I had it for a few months because I could afford it, right? And I've never stopped having it. It's been a part of my life ever since I was introduced to it. I think everybody else can say the same thing. But now that we know all this about what it's doing to our brain, I hope we can actually do something about it. That's why I get my news the same way people in 1830 got their news. Because being a citizen in a democracy is important. Being a citizen doesn't mean being a legal resident or having your ability to live in a certain place. That's not what a citizen in this country means. Jefferson was very specific in what society expects from a citizen. Society, democracy, requires citizens to be informed. We don't have a democracy without an informed public. And politicians are only a vessel of the world they live in, right? They're only a vessel of the reality of their time. And that's why politicians, right now, can't be trusted. Because they're not men and women of character, most of them. And that's why we have to be very cautious about where we go to learn about the world we live in. We kind of use the internet as a mediator in that pursuit. That's the problem. Especially because the deeper we go into the rabbit hole, the higher up we build the wall, and the harder it is for anyone else to get through to us. This isn't just exclusive to one side of the political aisle. This is all of us, worldwide. When you don't have a base of knowledge, you're angry. And half of these conspiracy theories that I just rattled off is just anger. It's hard facing harsh truths, right? I mean, it's hard. It's hard. Put yourself in the shoes of a person when they discovered that the world was not flat and you just 
have been living your whole life, you've been telling people that the earth is flat, I can see the end of the world. And when science told you that that was not true, a lot of people had a tough time dealing with that fact. And I'm sure if we were alive at the time, there would be a lot of deniers, right? So this kind of explains the lure of Fox News to most people, is that it kind of makes the news less harsher, right? And during the campaign, all Obama was serving was harsh truths. This is a man who embodied change. He came out of nowhere. And because we lacked answers, because there was so much more to learn about him as he ran for president, a lot of people just checked out and started to create their own narratives, started to build on their own fear, started to listen to other people's sales pitch on their fear. Because remember, conspiracy feeds on fear. Conspiracy, the only thing conspiracy cares about is having fear. As long as you have fear, conspiracy will be attractive to you. And you only have fear because you don't know the facts. That's why where we get our news is so important today. I mean, the big problem with the rise of counter-narratives and anti-culture is that now companies are all over the internet monetizing off of this. They're selling you on the idea that we have the truth, subscribe to our site, buy our videos, buy our, subscribe to our, you know, give us money because we give you the real truth, but really that's just them making money. You know, the news publications have been around for a hundred years for a reason. These people just launch on the internet from their basement for a reason, you know? The internet cannot supplant that pursuit. The internet actually fucks up that pursuit, big time. It really leads you into rabbit holes that you do not want to go down. And the problem is now, that culture, that way that the internet facilitates and perpetuates is everywhere now. It's in every layer of our, of our culture. That's what I'm afraid of. That's why I'm doing this. And I don't, I want to hesitate because I don't, I don't really want to do politics. Um, this is more history and um, social science and logic. Um, mainly that's what I'm doing here. But what I'm afraid of is that a lot of these people, a lot of our neighbors and brothers and sisters have been sold on this idea that, you know, just because the New York Times is in New York City and leans to the left, that somehow you can't read it or somehow what's in America's oldest, most trusted newspaper is somehow a lie. That's what I'm really afraid of. Because that's when democracy is truly 
not on stable ground. You know, when if we could wake up the founders, and I don't focus on their, I focus on their words only, right? Because there's personality and character choices that we do not like about those people. But their words are there for a reason. Their words are there to lean on in times like this. And what I'm really afraid of is if you told the founders that citizens, that people, the public could not get accurate information, that they were actually given false information, I'm not really sure that they would create the system that we're in now. Because a democracy requires the populace to have accurate information. And if all of us are getting our information from different sources, we're all going to have a different version of what accurate means. And that's what's so scary about what politicians are selling us on now, is that you can only watch this channel, don't read that publication. You know, that's kind of game that when in a free society, in a democracy, when you have people telling you only pay attention to this or don't pay attention to that, that's when you have to pump the brakes and realize that I'm getting sold on something here or that person possesses bad qualities because they're feeding on fear that they smell from me. And none of us have time to know everything. None of us have time to every day make sure we have the accurate information, but that's why I lean on the oldest sources of information because I know it's reliable. It might not be, when I read the Wall Street Journal, I don't agree with most of the stuff that I read because the columnists are conservative. But it doesn't stop me from reading the Wall Street Journal. I have to know what is going on in the world around me. I have to know both sides of everything because that's the only way I know the truth. And I just really hope that we're not in a place in this country of all countries that people are just tuning out. They're checking out. They're only paying attention to one side. Which means they're fundamentally failing as citizens. You know, the word citizen in this country comes with such reverence. It should come with such reverence. Instead, it's just been disrespected by the people of this country because they throw it around as if it's some sort of prize, as if being a citizen here is some sort of prize. It's not a prize. Being a citizen of the United States of America is a responsibility. And it's a responsibility that I, Chris Banks, have taken seriously since I was 13. Now, I'm not doing this to make anybody feel bad or to tell anybody to do anything. Because that's what everyone else does. That's what politicians do. That's what corporations do. Right? I'm just here to ask questions and to probe your neurons. Because I see people totally disrespecting the responsibility 
that being a citizen of the United States of America brings with it. Do we just run on fear? Do we not educate ourselves? Do we listen to both sides? Do we demonize? Do we perpetuate this us versus them politics that has dominated my life? Are we going to keep failing as citizens? Amazing thing about the eight years under Barack Obama, for me, just looking back as someone who loves history, is that it's almost like we know we are failing as citizens. We know that we're not doing as much as we need to. But instead of engaging, instead of leaning in and doing more, we're just blaming our institutions. We're just blaming politicians. We're just blaming other people. Instead of doubling down and engaging and learning and talking and volunteering and doing and being an American citizen. So I just hope you take away from this conversation with the impression about why all of these existed. Why all of these things happened during these most important eight years that should have been used to heal and to learn things that we don't know. And instead we just did what we always do. We gave into fear and we leaned on conspiracy. And in the next episode, I want to bring us more into today's world. Because if we were leaning on conspiracy and conspiracy ruined a presidency 10 years ago, don't you think that it lays the groundwork to where we got to with this current president? This current president is just a manifestation of all of these years of fear and conspiracy. We'll get into it in the next conversation. In closing, though, let's go back to John McCain. Because this is what we miss today, in my opinion. Leadership. Speaking on the Senate floor about Michelle Bachmann's conspiracy theory that the Muslim Brotherhood penetrated the U.S. government. This is John McCain. Start quote. To say that these accusations made are not substantiated by the evidence they offer is to be overly polite and diplomatic about it. It is far better and far more accurate to talk straight. These allegations and the report from which they are drawn are nothing less than an unwarranted and unfounded attack on an honorable citizen, a dedicated American, and a loyal public servant. These sinister accusations rest solely on a few unspecified and unsubstantiated accusations, none of which are shown to harm or threaten the United States in any way. These attacks have no basis in logic and no merit, and they need to stop now. 
Ultimately, what is at stake in this matter is larger even than the reputation of one person. This is about who we are as a nation and who we aspire to be. What makes America exceptional among other countries of the world is that we are bound together as citizens, not by blood or class, not by sect or ethnicity, but by a set of enduring, universal, and equal rights that are the foundation of our Constitution, our laws, our citizenry, and our identity. When anyone, not least a member of Congress, launches specious and degrading attacks against fellow Americans, on the basis of nothing more than fear of who they are and ignorance of what they stand for, it defames the spirit of our nation, and we all grow poorer because of it. John McCain Thank you, sir.